welcome, welcome all our ancestors to be with us. <clears throat> I entitled the talk today, How to Become a Human. Do we need to learn how to become human? Seems relatively obvious. But a number of years ago, I was sitting over there in that, on a cushion and struggling a lot. And angry about uh, how much struggle there was my life. And I happened to suddenly see an image of a blimp, one of those things that they have at football games or whatever, with trailing message. And very clearly, this blimp was in my mind, and it was trailing this message. And the message was, Dear Mado, you are hereby invited to join the human race. <laughs> Apparently, I had not yet joined the human race. <laughs> I never really quite learned how to be human. This is not something we learn in school, anyway. We don't learn how to breathe. We don't learn in school how to be alone. We don't learn in school how to sit still and reflect. We certainly don't learn in school how to meet sickness, old age, and death. Don't learn those things. And we don't learn how to resolve conflicts. We don't learn that in school. We Early learn that anywhere, any of these things. And we don't learn how to hug either. Some of us still don't know how to hug. Some of us hug great distance. Some of us hug patting, patting you on the back as if they know who's, you know who's boss, right? Or do you really exist? <clears throat> Thich Nhat Hanh discovered that he needed to learn how to hug. Coming from an Asian country, he visited America quite frequently and Every time he got left a place, got on an airplane, came off an airplane in this country, all the little old ladies like me 
wanted to hug him. Because he's so cute. <laughs> and he realized he didn't know how to hug in Asia. In Asian countries, he's just bowing, right? So he said, well, if I'm going to visit America, I'm, I'm going to have to learn how to hug. And he made it a point to learn how to hug. Because if he's going to do it, he wants to do it fully, completely, genuinely, wants to know what it's about. And so he learned how to hug, and he has actually taught us how to hug. And it, very quickly, it comes in three stages. And you can, you can experiment with this. The first stage is you really get close. Got to get close to hug. And the feeling is, I'm here for you. You are in my arms. Both arms, not just one arm. You know, some people only give one-armed hugs. Both arms. And so the feeling is, I'm present, I'm here for you, we're connected. This is an important moment. This This is a moment for us. That's the first stage. The second stage is getting a little closer and releasing a little bit, releasing, allowing yourself to be a little more vulnerable, being more present. And the, and the spirit is, it's probably going to be a long time before I see you again. Huh? So maybe, maybe it'll be a long time. So we may make this, make this significant. Let's make this moment important, real for us. Because it may be a while. So, okay, yeah. And the third stage is very profound and very real. And that is, I will never see you again. What would a hug like that be? This is it. And that may really be the case. So can we meet each other in this intimate way with the sense that this moment is all we have? And it very well may be that we won't have another one. So, man, this feels really good. I'm going to grab hold of you and take a while. Not these perfunctory hugs. (laughs) Oh, okay, hug. I'm gone. I kind of run. So really make it last, because it may be the last. So he learned how to hug. We have been given 
this very rare human birth. Many of you may have heard the story of how rare a human birth is. We kind of take it for granted. But there is a a myth in Buddhist tradition in which there is a blind sea turtle who is thrashing around in a cosmic sea and the wind is pushing this turtle to and from and there just happened to be an oxen yoke with a hole in the middle that's floating on this sea. And every hundred years, every cent- once in a century, this turtle sticks its head up from beneath the ocean. What's the chance that that turtle's head is going to come up through that yoke? That's how rare it is to be born a human being. That's pretty improbable. So we're given this human life. We've been given the gift of humanity. And what sort of gift is this? Not only has have we been given the gift of humanity, which is rare, but we've also, right now, right here, have been given the gift of the Dharma, of these teachings. It's said, not only is it rare to be born human, but a human who happens to hear these teachings Very few people actually come across the Buddha's Dharma. And how many people, having been exposed to the Dharma, just knowing it exists and hearing about it, actually practice it? A lot of us study, read books. We talked about this, yeah. I've read a lot of books about Buddhism, about the Dharma, but how many of us actually practice? And beyond that, how rare it is to keep practicing. (laughs) And even rarer to make your life a life of practice. That's what that one is going to commit to later on. (laughs) Very rare. This gift of the Dharma, what kind of a gift is it? And the Dharma teachings, these, these amazing teachings. Really, the teachings which We never learned in school all the teachings about how to be human. That's what Buddha taught. How do we live this human life? How how do we be human? 
How do we be complete, a complete, realized, whole being, human being? What kind of gift is this? Rare. So I'm reminded of a story about the nature of a gift. There's a bunch of 10-year-olds who have just come from a Christmas party at school, and they were given bags of treats. And they filed into the school bus with their treat bags. And the bus driver takes off. And it doesn't take a little while before one of the children has a handful of peanuts and brings them up to the bus driver. And the bus driver says, thank you. What a nice treat. And eats the peanuts. A few minutes later, another child comes up with a handful of peanuts here, to the bus driver. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. How generous. And this goes on for a while. One child after another is bringing peanuts up to the bus driver, and he is eating them, or she. And after, you know, the, the bus driver finally says to the, looks around to the children and says, this is really generous of you, but I'm, I'm fine. I don't need any more peanuts. You can, you know, keep your peanuts. Enjoy them. And one of the kids says, don't worry. We licked all the chocolate off of them. <laughs> the Dharma, the Dharma is, is, are the peanuts with the chocolate. In fact, the Dharma may be pure chocolates, unencumbered by peanuts. It is a pure gift. It's a pure gift to relieve suffering, to relieve distress. So we learn, we practice to become whole, to become fully realized human beings. Sometimes we speak about ripening. Sometimes it's called growing up. Becoming, a <laughs> in Jewish it's a mensch. <laughs> Becoming a mensch. Human. To ripen, to mature. And the Buddha's Dharma is the teaching of how to do this, how to become a full, fully ripened, fully mature, fully grown up adult, fully, fully complete. 
And the best, the very best place to ripen this Buddha field, this Buddha verse, the very best place to ripen the very best soil is right here in this messy, saha, dusty world. No better place. We belong to this world. Right in the middle of the messiness, the suffering, the distress, We're going to discuss leaving home. All of you have left home here. Where else could we practice leaving home except in response to our urge to hide in the comfort of the familiar? Where else could we practice leaving home except when we don't want to? (laughs) When we want to stay in the old habits and the old comfort zones and the old familiar places. Where else could we practice courage except when fear drives us to want to run? to escape, to distract, to hide. Where else could we practice courage except right here in this mess? Right here in this fear. Courage is not recklessness. It involves fear. When else could we practice compassion except in the face of the hurtful actions of others? We have to practice compassion when we feel wounded, when we feel angry, when we feel hurt. That's the time to practice it. When else could we practice patience except when a person or a situation seems intolerable? It's then when we have to practice patience. No other time. Right? How can we practice letting go except when we don't trust enough and hold tight? Then we have to practice letting go. Only when we do this, then we practice doing this. How can we practice generosity 
except when we're asked to give more than we want to. Or more than we think we can. Then we have to really let go. Give. Exactly when we are stingy. When we want to protect what we have. And even when we don't have very much, then we're asked to give. Give more. There we practice generosity. How can we practice concentration? Except when we are assaulted by distractions. Then we have to practice concentration because the mind is going every which way and wants to live in la-la land. How can we practice effort except when the easiest route is surrender? I give up. No, practice going forward. Just go on, (laughs) right? One of my early teachers would say, Practice come what may. Come what may. Oh, it's too hard. I give up. I give up. That's when you practice effort. When you have no energy left. When you're you're spent. (laughs) And you find it. Like, the mother who can lift up a, a car if her child is underneath. Yeah. Yeah. How can we practice living ethically except in a society which excuses or ignores corruption? This place this country, this culture. Where, where can we practice being upright except when everything wants to pull us down? When corruption, when, when malfeasance is <coughs> just the way to get by, the way to achieve. Then we have to practice being upright, when we want to lie, when stealing is okay. Everybody does it. When can we come together to create a transformative Buddha field of wisdom and compassion when can we come together as we've done these past few days. Supporting each other, encouraging each other, sitting next to each other, helping each other stay put. (laughs) Being quiet, peaceful, 
how can we practice creating this Buddha field of beauty and truth and goodness except when we find ourselves in the killing fields of hatred. The killing fields of hatred. There's where we practice coming together and building this again and again and again in this world, in the supermarket, in the library, in your place of business, in your family dining room, wherever you go. This is our place of practice. This world was made for us and we are made for it. How can we become human? All of these, how can we practice this? All of these are the paramitas, the perfections of practice. Uh, Perfection is not to be taken here in a moralistic sense. Oh, I'm just like godlike or divine. It's human. So sometimes when we we do repentance ceremonies, we confess our evil deeds, so to speak, and confess that we're we're not godlike. Really, it is a confession of our humanity. I'm human, and this is what humans do. Humans make mistakes. Humans take wrong turns. Humans fall into sinkholes, quicksand. Humans get pulled around by this and that. So I confess, I'm human. How do we continue to ripen? to become complete human beings. I have nothing on the next page. (laughs) Just this. How do we do it? We are doing it. We are doing it together. With goodwill, with care, with love with mutual support, come what may.